Welcome to Oaks Church, where we grow great lives and build big people. Thank you for checking out our podcast. We hope that you're encouraged by this life-changing message from Pastor Joel Scrivener. For more information, visit us online at oakschurch.com or follow us on social media at Oaks Church Texas. Well, I'm so excited to honor all of our fathers this weekend as we continue our theme, Under Pressure. It couldn't be more fitting to focus on and celebrate all of you men of God and honor you for your responsibility you carry and the pressure you wear. Contrary to what the world's agenda would love to sell all of us about the privileges of being a man, there's actually a tremendous amount of pressure, expectation, requirements, and weight that goes along with manhood. And that goes double if you're striving to honor God with your manliness instead of caving to the temptations of the world. I want to recognize each and every one of you as men of God, whether you're a father or not, we're grateful that you are standing with us. We're grateful that you are in line and in league with us. And we ask you to continue to fight the good fight of faith. We honor you today and we thank you. Obviously, we're going to speak to everyone today and not just to the fathers, but we definitely want to make sure that you understand how much we appreciate you and how proud we are to have you as a part of our congregation. We're living in unprecedented times. And the pressure on all of us has been extreme. But lucky for all of us, champions are made under pressure. That's right. God has in mind for you to be one of his champions. In fact, Jesus calls you more than a conqueror. You are a champion in the making. And when we go through tough times, stressful times in life, it perfects us in an amazing way. As I spent time in prayer this week, the Lord communicated to me very clearly that he wanted me to challenge his warriors to arise. Those are warriors, both male and female. But he wanted me to speak specifically to the men and charge and call the men of this church, the men of his kingdom, to arise. The pressure that we have been living under can easily lull us into a season of sedentary, isolated acceptance of whatever comes our way. Just in the first half of this year, we have weathered so much. I got to tell you, I don't think if I can remember a crazier year in my entire life where more chaos has happened. Just to start out, if we walk through a few things that have happened this year, many of them you'll remember, some of them may make you laugh, others may make you cry. But it started on January 2nd. We kicked it off with a bang. A state of emergency was called in Australia due to massive wildfires that burned tens of millions of acres and killed over one billion animals. On the exact same day, our military launched a strike against a terrorist mastermind, General Soleimani, and he was killed in a military strike. Five days later, within the same week, the WHO announced that they had discovered a new disease they would later name COVID-19. And the very next day, Prince Harry and Princess Meghan Markle stepped down from the royal family. I know of all the things we've been through thus far, for some of you, that was absolutely devastating. Just kidding. Later that day, though, Iran bombed two military bases in Iraq, killing American soldiers, and then mistakenly shot down a Ukrainian passenger airline, killing 176 innocent passengers. All of that in one week. The following week, the presidential impeachment process started, The coronavirus reached American shores in Seattle. Wuhan, China was completely locked down and the president canceled flights from China. All in one week. 
The very next week, Kobe Bryant and his sweet daughter were tragically killed in a helicopter crash. And then in that same week, England succeeded from the European Union. All of that just in January. Days later, our president would be acquitted. COVID-19 would become a global pandemic and entire countries began to lock down. A state of emergency was declared in our nation and the greatest economy in the history of America came to a screeching halt. Our, our 300 million citizens were placed under house arrest and forced into seclusion, commanded not to socialize, work, or even worship together under the penalty of fines or arrest. Our economy tanked, 40 million people lost their jobs, every sport was canceled, and the Summer Olympics were postponed until next year. Finally, the virus began to slow, life started to return, businesses began to reopen, and the economy sprung back to life. And just as things were looking up, a string of tragic police killings of African Americans fueled the fires of racism in our nation, and once again, turmoil returned to our streets. Now, weeks later, we are still reeling from violence, rage, vandalism, crime sprees, anarchy, and total chaos and disorder in many of the cities in our nation. We're trying to heal, trying to recover. There's been one heck of a year so far, and we're only halfway through. The Lord was very clear with me. It's time for warriors to awaken. I don't know how you handle stress, uh, I know we've all been overwhelmed. We've all been stressed. We've all been at a loss. Maybe some of you, like me, when you're super stressed out, just want to go to sleep. I know people handle stress in so many different ways. Everyone seeks to escape in some form or fashion. One of those ways that people try to cope often is to just sleep through it. Have you ever done that? Have you ever thought, you know what? I don't know what to do. I can't possibly deal with another second of this. I'm just gonna go to sleep. Now, I know Stephen mentioned earlier that for Father's Day, one of the greatest gifts you can give is a nap, and that is absolute. Praise God for naps. I'm gonna get my naps in this weekend. Uh, but also... I know myself, and there are times when things get so stressful that I just want to shut everything out, and if I can possibly just go to sleep, maybe I can sleep through this and wake up on the other side, and things will be better. Now, a good nap or getting some rest, very good for your health. It's great. It's a good thing to do. In fact, some of the brightest minds, some of the greatest inventors that we've ever known inside of our scientific community have been significant believers of napping and using power naps to restart their creativity. But can I tell you, there's nothing that the devil would want more than for God's people to be so stressed, overwhelmed, and under pressure that they would be completely complacent hopeless and try to sleep through the chaos and just wake up on the other side. But God is calling us to wake up. He's saying, wake up my warriors. He's calling us to arise in the midst of this crazy chaotic year. There's tremendous opportunity. Only the sober and vigilant will be able to see and seize it. You can't seize the day when you're sleeping. There's a proverb that says, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of your hands to rest, and scarcity will come upon you like a bandit and poverty like an armed man. We can't allow ourselves, because of stress and pressure, to move into a place of complacency, weariness, and to live in a place where we are unaware of the solutions and the opportunity that God has for us. First Peter 5, verse 8 and 9 says this, be sober 
Be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. See, this is an interesting time because we're not walking through so much of this tragedy as just our nation. We've been a part of a global problem. And whether you're talking about the coronavirus or you're talking about racism or you're talking about the economy, we're talking about a global problem. And our brothers and sisters in faith all around the world have been going through this together. You're not alone in the pressures you face. You're not alone in the struggles that you're walking through. And the answer for each and every one of us is to arise, to take our place as warriors, to be sober and vigilant, and to resist the devil. The scriptures are very clear that if we resist him, he will flee from us. The entirety of the family of God has been under tremendous pressure. We must not grow weary. We must not slumber. We must not cast off restraint. We must stay awake and aware so we can resist the enemy and watch him flee. I want to take a look at our main story for today that comes from 1 Samuel 14. It's one of my favorite Bible stories, and I can't wait to share it with you. 1 Samuel 14, 1 and 2 start like this. Now it happened one day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who bore his armor, come, let's go over to the Philistine garrison that's on the other side. But he did not tell his father and Saul was sitting in the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migron. The people who were with him were 600 men. Verse four says, between the passes, by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistine garrison, there was a sharp rock on one side and a sharp rock on the other side. And the name of one was Bozes, and the name of the other was Sinna. Remember those names. I'll mention that in just a moment. The front of one faced toward, uh, northward toward Michmash, and the other southward opposite Gibeah. Then Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, come, let's go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be, or perhaps the Lord will work for us. For nothing restrains the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. So his armor bearer said to him, do all that is in your heart. Go then, here I am with you, according to your own heart. Or another translation says, I'm with you heart and soul. Then Jonathan said, very well, let us cross over to these men and we will show ourselves to them. If they say thus to us, wait until we come up to you, then we will stand still in our place and not go up to them. But if they say thus, come up to us, then we will go up for the Lord has delivered them into our hand and this will be the sign to us. I love this story so much. It's super rich and full of incredible details. And I'm gonna take a moment. I'm gonna tell you the rest of the story and how it ends. But I'm gonna take a moment to walk you through some of the details of the backstory of what's going on. See, King Saul was stuck. He was under tremendous pressure. And what I just read you was a story about his son, Jonathan, who was an incredible warrior who would later become the best friend of David, who we all know and revere. But King Saul was stuck because his entire nation was being oppressed by the Philistines. In fact, 
Truth be known, this was a significant racial battle that was going on. The Philistines were an indigenous people group that lived in that area that were a different race and background than the Jews, the people of God. And God had instructed his people, and this is a very confusing part of the Bible, but God had instructed Israel when they went in to take the land to eradicate everyone, to kill everyone. It doesn't make sense, but he was painting a picture. God was painting a picture because the Philistines represent the flesh. They represented sin and the nature of mankind to sin. And as long as there was a remnant of the Philistines around or allowed to stay inside of the territory of Israel, the propensity for the people of God, the Israelites, to be lulled back into sin or to be drawn back into a place of oppression and slavery was present. So God instructed them to kill them all but they didn't. They killed enough. They backed them out. They let them hold on to different territories. And we see today a continued conflict inside of the nation of Israel with people groups that are still fighting to hold on to and keep and take territory in a region that God had given them and told them to completely take over and dominate. In this specific story, King Saul was stuck in a major way because he was so oppressed by this people group that his ancestors had been instructed and commanded to take out that they had taken away all of the blacksmiths. They controlled all of the crops. They were being forced, uh, the Israelites were being forced to pay tribute to even stay and live in their own land. And the nation of Israel was in a very subjugated, uh, structured, oppressed season. In fact, all the blacksmiths were gone and Israel was in a place where they couldn't even have weapons. Uh, the Philistines had outlawed weapons in Israel. They had inflicted their own laws so that only Philistines could have real weapons. And Saul and Jonathan were the only two in all of Israel that actually had a real sword. The other 600 men that are described inside of this story, if you look back one chapter in 1 Samuel 13, you'll see that all of them, the only weapons they had to fight with were their farming tools. So they're literally going to battle and they're, they're taking farm equipment into war because that's how oppressed they had become. They were outmanned. They were outgunned, so to speak. You could say they brought uh, garden hose and rakes to a sword fight. Saul was so stressed and overwhelmed that he decided to take a nap under a shade tree. And that's where we find him in this story. The enemy had him right where he wanted him. But Jonathan, his son, was sober and vigilant and the Lord gave him a big idea. I wanted to take a moment and describe or give you the names and the meanings of the names of a couple of these uh, areas that are mentioned. The first area is the area that Jonathan was trying to get to. It's where the Philistines were encamped and holding up a fortress. And the name of that area was Michmash. Michmash literally means the place of hidden treasure. There was a hidden treasure that God had in store for his people. There was a great opportunity that God had in mind for his people, but they were so beaten down and so oppressed, they were in the outskirts and unwilling to walk through what they needed to walk through to acquire that opportunity to fulfill destiny and to gain that hidden treasure. So, they, so, so Jonathan had to walk through an area where there were two rocks on either side, two big giant boulders or, or mountainous rocks on either side. One of them was named Bozes and the other was named Sinna. 
Bozes means a great giant shining rock. It had a slick surface. It was almost impossible to climb because of how, how slick it was, how big, how, uh, how um, impressive and, and steep it was. And so it was a very looming feature on that side. On the other side was Sinna. Sinna means a thorny place. It was a craggy mountainside with thorns all through it. And so Jonathan literally had to pass between a rock and a hard place to get the hidden treasure of his destiny. Isn't that interesting that we would find ourselves in a place oftentimes where we use the phrase, I'm stuck between a rock and a hard place. And now we see in a Bible story how that came to pass. And here's the secret. The only way to get to the hidden treasure, the only way to get to the destiny that God had in store was to pass through the pressure. You don't get to opt out. You don't get to click a box. You don't, need to, you, don't, you don't have a get out of jail pass. You have to pass through the pressure. The only way to your destiny is to pass through the rock in the hard place. There's no getting around it, no getting out of it, no snoozing through it. You have to arise, you have to fight, and you have to pass through. You are forged in the fire. Walking through fiery times, tragic times like we've been in are, are the times in your life where you literally are forged into the weapon of God to do the greatest works of God. One of the things Jesus said that he came to do was to destroy the works of the devil. That's part of our mandate. We were called to be soldiers in the army of the Lord. We're called to tear down the strongholds, the fortresses of the enemy that he erects inside of the minds of people. You're forged in the fire. Maybe you felt like Saul. You've been weary, burdened, overwhelmed, oppressed. You've been stuck between a rock and a hard place, looking up one side of your life and saying, I don't know how I could ever climb. I don't know how I could ever arise and overcome that. Looking at the other side and it's so thorny and craggy and, 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 and so painful. There's no way through that. I can't ever get up on that. But God is calling you to arise and to fight to possess the promise. I want to take you back to a message and an idea that we discussed in the beginning of this year. We talked about the meaning of the year. We know that we're in the year in our modern calendar 2020, but in the Jewish calendar, it's the year 5780. And that 5780 is symbolic. It has a very symbolic meaning. Remember the five is the symbol for an open door, an opportunity. Look, pay attention. There's something available. The number seven represents divine authority. It's literally the symbol of a sword with the hilt at the top and the tip at the bottom. It represents authority from heaven to earth. And the last two numbers, 80, are the symbol for a mouth. This is the year of God's declared authority. The year of God's declared authority. And the enemy wants to shut you up. Everything that's come at us this year has been an attempt to shut you up, to steal God's voice inside of you. This year feels like torture in some ways. It's excruciating and horrific. But God is pressing us and allowing us to be squeezed. And there's a treasure for us on the other side. I'm gonna take you to a part of this story that may be a little bit confusing to some. It's when Jonathan said, perhaps 
God will deliver our enemies into our hands. Maybe there's a chance that God could deliver our enemies into our hands for it's nothing to God to save whether by many or by few. His armor bearer says, I'm with you heart and soul, let's go. Now remember, Jonathan's the only one that has a sword. Maybe he's got a spear too, we don't know. His armor bearer had a shield and had some type of a weapon because as the story goes, uh, Jonathan went before them and attacked the people and, and struck them down and the armor bearer came behind him with the, with the shield and was killing them. So whether he was killing them with the shield, killing them with some type of a knife or a shiv or some type of a farm weapon that he had, we don't know. But this story gets really interesting and I want to walk you through a little part of it as someone that is a fighter by nature and by practice and by occupation. Um, this next part of the dialogue makes very much sense to me, and I want to make sure that it makes some sense to you. Jonathan's strategy that he received from heaven was this. He said, if they tell us, we're going to reveal ourselves to them. We're going to discover ourselves to them in the King James, it says. And if they say to us, stay put, guys, we're coming down to you, and we're going to kick your tail, I'm paraphrasing, obviously, then we're going to stay put. But if they say to us, Come on up here and we'll show you something. Then we'll know that the Lord has delivered them into our hand. What's the difference there? The difference is this. As a warrior, Jonathan knew, talk is cheap. If someone says, stay put, buddy, I'm coming to kick your tail. That person's serious. If the person's like, yeah, yeah, come on. Hell, I dare you, I dare you. Come on up here, I dare you. They're talking trash. They're not really confident. They don't really have what it takes. And Jonathan knew if this person, if these people are trash talkers and not real warriors, oh, we're going to take it to them. See, Jonathan was at a disadvantage. He had to crawl up the craggy, thorny rock face to fight these men. And there were about 20 of them in this specific instance. And he killed all 20 men inside of one half of an acre. Now, if you could just wrap your mind around that in the normal neighborhoods that we live in, a house sits on about 0.2 or 0.3 acres. So two, two lots of, a, of houses in our neighborhood is about what we're talking about. And 20 men died inside of two yards, essentially. This is an amazing battle, especially battling uphill up a rocky cliff for him to have that much victory and that small of a space in that short amount of time. And what the Lord did because of the faith of Jonathan, the willingness of Jonathan, the fearlessness of Jonathan, Jonathan arose. He stepped up to the plate. He swung his bat. He said, maybe, just perhaps, God will give us a victory today. My dad is depressed. He's sleeping under a tree. 600 men over there. The best they got is a garden hoe and a rake and maybe a sickle or something they use to, to, to cut grain. And I got one sword and I got one homeboy that's ready to go throw down with me. Maybe God will do something miraculous. See, we can look at the situations. We can look at the issues, the problems of our nation, and they can be so overwhelming that we can think there's no solution. Guys, there are people that are hopeless right now. They're hopeless right now because they're looking at our world and they're looking at racism and they're looking at the virus and they're looking at the economy and they're looking at the election and looking at all this baloney stuff that's out there and they're so overwhelmed they feel hopeless. But I'm wondering how many people would say perhaps if we arise, God might deliver them, the enemy, deliver the victory into our hands. 
See, what happened next is God created a massive turn of the tide in this situation. The, the scuffle and the sound of the war between, or the battle between Jonathan and his armor bearer and these 20 um, insurgents, essentially, that were a part of the Philistine army. It created enough ruckus that the, the Philistine camp was thrown into confusion. They actually began to attack themselves and kill themselves because they were so confused by the Spirit of God. And all of a sudden, Saul's men became aware and they started looking and who's not here? What's going on? And they realized Jonathan had left and gone and done this. And so they went and they pursued in battle and the enemy was completely annihilated that day because two guys decided that they would give God something to work with. I wonder if there are people here that are watching online this weekend that would give God something to work with. It just starts by stepping. See, the steps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord. And until you step, God can't orchestrate or order your steps. There's a passage in uh, 1 Peter that says, with all diligence, add to your faith virtue. That word virtue is a very appropriate word for today. That word virtue, it literally means to man up. It means to cowboy up, man up, pull up your britches, put your boots on, stop making excuses, grab your sword, stand up, let's go, man up. Add to your faith manliness. It's not about being chauvinistic. That word, it, it stands for valiance in battle, courage in battle, but it literally Virtue comes from two words in, in the, in the uh, Greek, and one word is man, and the other word is up. That's what it means. Virtue. Add some virtue to your faith. You say you believe in God? Step up to the plate. Swing that bat. You can't hit the ball until you swing the bat. And guess what? You might miss. You might strike out, but you get up, you get back up to the plate, and you swing again. You got to give God something to work with. I want to give you a couple very practical steps and I want to pray with you today. Number one thing, you need to memorize God's word and declare it. Memorize God's word and declare it. You need to have a regular habit every single day of memorizing and declaring the word of God over your life. The Bible says that you wage war with the sword of the spirit. And that is the word of God. The sword of the spirit is the spoken, declared word of God. God's word doesn't do you any good sitting in a dusty Bible on your coffee table. God's word only does you good when it goes into your ears, into your heart, and then comes out of your mouth as active warrior faith. Second thing is you need to pray aggressive, assertive prayers. Aggressive, assertive prayers. Pray aggressively against racism. Pray aggressively against hate. Pray aggressively against chaos. Pray aggressively against this virus and the turmoil and confusion and the attack against our nation. We need to be unifying and the only way that we'll unify is if we can identify our real enemy. Democrats and Republicans are not supposed to be enemies. They're supposed to be partners, balancing each other out to work together to make a great future. Blacks and whites and Hispanics and Asians and everybody else were not enemies. 
We're partners. We're children of God. We're in one family. And we have to stop seeing an enemy on the other side and see a brother. The real enemy is invisible. The real enemy is the devil, the evil one, the tempter, the accuser. He wants to lure you into a place of offense and he wants to destroy your life. Jesus has come that you would have life and life abundantly. The last thing is you have to prophesy out loud your victory. Prophesy out loud your future victory. If you keep the good thoughts, the happy thoughts, the, the word of God in your heart and in your mind, it's good. But until you prophesy it, it doesn't create. Everything God made, everything God creates, he creates with his mouth. He creates with his breath. He creates by declaring, let there be light. That's how he does everything. And you are made in his image. And you have to become the prophet of your life, your family, your future, your business. You've got to get God's word in your heart, declare it out of your mouth. Can I tell you that there was a time in, in my marriage, and Jennifer and I have been married almost 25 years, we'll celebrate in September. She's the love of my life. And I'm so grateful for her. And we've been through a lot. And there have been times in our marriage that she didn't want to stay married to me. And there were times that I didn't want to stay married to her. But what we did is that we fought for our marriage. We fought for each other. And there are seasons in our life where we had to stop talking out loud about the frustration, about the things that we didn't like. And we, start, we had to start prophesying about who the other person really was who, who God said they were. And in the darkest, hardest times of our life, by us aligning together and prophesying the future of our marriage, the future of our family, the future of our destiny, praying aggressive prayers, getting God's word in our heart, declaring it out of our mouth and prophesying it over, over our own family, and over our own marriage. That was what rallied and built the faith and created the future of harmony and peace and love that we live in right now. We, we could have been a statistic. And many, and many people go down that path and this is not about judgment or, or accusation against anyone because life happens to all of us. But wherever you find yourself today, you're not going to come through this pressing, this rock in a hard place with your mouth closed. You're not gonna come through it just because you hit the snooze over and over and over again. You're gonna stay in the place of pressing. You're gonna stay in the place of affliction. You're gonna stay in the place of oppression until you arise and become the warrior that God has called you to become and declare God's word out of your mouth and declare God's prophetic future over your life. It's time for the champions of God to arise. We hope this message has blessed your life. And if it has, we wanna invite you to sow into what God is doing here at Oaks Church. It's as simple as going to oakschurch.com and clicking the Give button. On behalf of Oaks Church, thanks again for listening and have a great week.